You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1924th edition of the St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 13th of April 2023. The editor of this edition is myself, Graham Parley, the producer is Pat Needham and your readers are Sue Cunningham-Snell and myself, Graham Parley. We should also like to mention our processing team who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We will commence with the headlines. 1.2 million to make dangerous road safer. Water plan could levy unlimited fines. Could parts of Suffolk gain world heritage status? A hundred tonnes is shifted to stop road flooding. 1.2 million pounds to make dangerous road safer. A Suffolk road considered among England's most dangerous has been chosen as part of a £48 million improvement scheme. The funding from the Department for Transport will be used to redesign junctions as well as improve signage and road markings on 27 roads. The A1156, which runs through Ipswich, has been granted £1.275 million for improvements. Funds will be used on the A1156 from the junction of the A14 to the junction with Woodbridge Road. Improvements include resurfacing installed average speed cameras and new crossing points. A spokesperson for Suffolk County Council said the announcement follows a competitive bidding process in which the council successfully demonstrated value for money deliverability and strategic benefits of its plans. The funding enables the Council to develop and deliver a range of improvements including better facilities for pedestrians and cyclists, the removal or relocation of roadside hazards, traffic calming measures and other safety improvements. The Council will continue to develop the package of measures and undertake further design and consultation activities as the scheme progresses with a view to delivering the improvements in 2024-25. The Safer Roads Fund was launched by the Government to improve dangerous roads in the country with more than £100 million provided so far to repair 50 dangerous roads. Allocations for funding were based on data provided by the Road Safety Foundation, which included the number of people killed and injured on the road, as well as traffic levels. Ipswich MP Tom Hunt welcomed the funding. I welcome the news announced today that the A1156 road in Ipswich will receive £1.275 million in investment from the Safer Roads Fund. This is something I have been aware of for some time and have campaigned for. Road safety is of great importance and I am confident this will make a positive difference for my constituents. 
Suffolk Coastal MP Therese Coffey has unveiled a new plan for water that could lead to unlimited fines for polluting water companies just days after the EADT revealed there had been 150 sewage releases across Suffolk. Up to £1.1 billion of funding could be spent by water companies in England to prevent 10,000 storm overflows a year as part of the strategy which aims to tackle the problem of excess rain and wastewater being released into waterways and the sea to stop sewers being overwhelmed. Data obtained from the Anglian Water website has revealed the extent of the sewage problem in Suffolk, which included a storm tank in the common releasing foul waste into the River Blythe on 13 occasions for more than 26 hours in 2022. In total, in Southwold, a town famed for its quality of life and blue flag beaches, there were fewer sewer releases in 2022, including in Marlborough Road on 61 occasions and for more than 15 hours. However, East Suffolk councillor David Beaven, who represents Southwold, dismissed the plan as a load of waffle having raised concerns about the impact of the sewage on the town's blue flag status. Blue flags are awarded by environmental charity Keep Britain Tidy and recognise well-managed beaches with excellent water quality and environmental education programmes. Councillor Beaven said, It seems a lot of waffle to me. That is not going to stop the pollution. Fines will only be added to our bills. If a farmer has too much slurry, he would not pour it into a river. He would put it in a bag until he can dispose of it properly. Why can't Anglian Water do the same? The Department for Environmental Food and Rural Affairs planned for water outlines an extra £2.2 million to boost the budget for the Environmental Agency's enforcement while consultations are currently taking place on the penalty cap, with a preference to remove the cap altogether, allowing unlimited fitness. My next headline has been in the news recently, certainly in the uh, national newspapers, and it's Could Parts of Suffolk Gain World Heritage Status? Parts of Suffolk could gain world heritage status after it received government backing. The Department for Culture, Media and Sport, DCMS, has announced the seven places to be named on its tentative list, published around every ten years, which sets out the sites it is felt have the best chance of succeeding, achieving world heritage status. UNESCO's World Heritage Site System offers the opportunity for cultural and natural heritage sites to gain international recognition and promote themselves on a global stage. Places of natural significance recommended for this consideration by the DCMS include the East Atlantic Flyway, a migratory bird route over western parts of Europe including Suffolk and Norfolk, it joins the list in recognition of its vital importance to bird populations 
and wildlife as an area that sees huge transient bird populations pass through every year. If successful, Suffolk would join the 33 other World Heritage Sites already based in the UK, including Stonehenge and Hadrian's Wall. Heritage Minister Lord Parkinson of Whitley Bay said, Today we are confirming our support for some of the most enchanting heritage sites and breathtaking landscapes in the UK and its overseas territories as they bid for UNESCO World Heritage Site status. All the locations being put forward would be worthy recipients of this accolade, and we will give them our full backing so they can benefit from the international recognition it can bring. Laura Davis, HM Ambassador to UNESCO, said, It is great that the UK is contributing to making world heritage more representative. These five sites brilliantly reflect the diversity and beauty of the UK and its overseas territories, natural and cultural heritage, and I look forward to working with them towards World Heritage Listing. The DCMS says it will now work with local authorities and devolved administrations to develop their bids. More than 100 tonnes of silt, which contributed to repeated flooding along a major Bury St Edmunds road, has been removed. It was revealed this week. The staggering volume of silt is one of the reasons behind flooding in Compiègne Way, with Suffolk Highway spending the past three weeks undertaking urgent works towards a long-term solution. On Wednesday, a Suffolk Highway spokesman woman said, Compiègne Way is a low-lying area and the drainage system copes with a lot of silt because of its location. The pipes along Compiègne Way are now clear of silt and new pumps are being installed. Measures to tackle the problem include clearing more than 100 tonnes of silt, new and bigger pumps, early warning system for silt build-up, and lastly, enhance biannual servicing plan. Lane closures are in operation in Compiègne Way, with more works at the Steve Lumley roundabout, cleaning and pump replacements and repairs starting on Wednesday. The spokeswoman said, An early warning system will be installed to advise when the build-up of silt gets to a certain level. The data from the system will be reviewed and our teams will assess any works required. We are also planning to bring in an enhanced servicing regime for the system to be visited twice a year, which we hope will significantly improve the situation. Colin Payne of nearby Hollow Road said on Wednesday, It sounds like they are now doing what they should have been doing for weeks, months, years before. Outgoing Morton Hall councillor Trevor Beckworth said, The solution they propose are nothing more than you would have expected to be already in a place. As usual with highways, it's a slow reaction following years of excuses. And now I think we're going to move on to our general news. And this article is a bit similar to Sue's in that it's talking about flooding, but in a different context. Repeated flooding of land where a contentious anaerobic digester plant is proposed to be built 
has led to concerns that more flooding could ensue and should it go ahead. Acorn Bioenergy is proposing to build the plant at Spring Grove Farm, which is owned by the Thurlow Estate and sits by the A1307 in Withersfield, close to Haverhill. It would turn farm crops such as rye, oats, maize and grass silage, straw, slurry and poultry litter into methane gas for heating and transport and produce fertiliser. Indy Wijineaka, a Withersfield Parish Councillor and spokesman for the Muckoff Acorn campaign, which opposes the proposal, said that when it was originally mooted last September, there were assurances by both the developer and landowner that the site would be unlikely to flood on a frequent basis. Mr Wijineaka said that Neville and Richard Haylock, who farm land adjacent to the site, raised the issue of flooding at the parish council meeting last September. Their concerns, he said, were dismissed. He added, their local knowledge is being diminished by those that are supporting these plans. People are trying to claim that the flood defences built by the Environment Agency will protect the area. However, the flood defences are designed to protect the town of Haverhill, not the surrounding farmland or the A1307. He said that since September, the area around Spring Grove Farm had flooded four times, and if the site was developed, if the site was developed, flood water would wash through in the Stour Brook and cause further flooding downstream. A spokesman for Acorn Bioenergy said it took flood risk very seriously, adding a flood risk assessment and drainage report with an associated surface water management plan will accompany the planning application. This considers all potential sources of flooding to the site and has been assessed with the relevant planning policy guidance. The hydraulic modelling results predicted no measurable increase in flood risk to residents and properties downstream in Haverhill. The flood risk to the proposed development is considered negligible, thus the site is considered suitable for development in line with planning guidance. A Bury St Edmunds artist and former jewellery designer who held art and theatre workshops at schools across the area has died aged 90. Jilly Sego designed and produced handmade jewellery with husband John at the former Silversmiths in Guildhall Street. John Sego Silversmiths, which opened in 1985. Born Gillian Mary Roscoe, Roscoe in Kent in 1932, Jilly Sego was a well-known support to the Berry community volunteering over three decos at St Mary's Church on Honey Hill and St Nicholas Hospice Care, as well as an organiser for the Amnesty and Action Aid branches. Grandson Callum Roscoe said her legacy in Bury included her oil on canvas for the Tercentury of the Suffolk Regiment painted in 1985 and the hundreds of very children who will remember her art and theatre workshops at schools across the area. In the last few years of her life, Jilly was looked after by a team of specialists at Networth Care Home, 
allowing her to be closer to her family in London and Hertfordshire. Her last exhibition in Bury was Opposites, Conflict and the Human Mind at the former Edmund Gallery in September 2016, and her final exhibition was Gilly Sego, representative of Protein Studios in Shoreditch in December 2017. A short documentary of her life was shown in 2017, directed by the documentary maker Jane Preston. Emblematic of the difficulties faced by female artists in the 20th century, Mr. Roscoe said his grandmother's earliest large-scale work was the television pavilion mural for the Festival of Britain in 1951, which was uncredited with the organisers, naming only her first husband, Peter Bender. Despite her spending as many, if not more, days scaling the side of the newly constructed buildings, wearing a fur coat for warmth. Aged 90, she had been painting for almost 70 years, and her work shown in galleries across the globe. Jilly is survived by three of her four children, grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Her funeral is at St Andrew's Church, Hempstead, Norfolk, NR120SH, near the site of her Smee Summary Gallery, on April the 17th at 1pm. The family requests that instead of flowers, donations are made to freedom from torture. Plans to change a former town centre shop in Bury St Edmunds into a dwelling have been given the green light. West Suffolk Council has given the go-ahead to change the use of rear rooms of a shop-retail uh, area and to repair and replace windows at the Grade 2 listed 15 Hatter Street. The building has not been used as a shop for several years and has only served as a frontage. Described as a fixed advertisement area to a depth of one metre. A report to the council said the building was in poor condition. The owners applied to convert it to full residential use to become a family home, with the external appearance to remain mostly the same other than external repairs and replacement windows. A report by planners said the proposed changes and external refurbishment to the property is considered to be sympathetic and respectful of this Grade 2 listed building. A spring booster programme for the COVID-19 vaccination will begin later this month for the most vulnerable people. From April the 17th, those eligible for a spring COVID booster will be able to get their jab either at a local walk-in clinic or via an appointment with their GP or community pharmacy. The booster is available until Friday, June the 30th to people who are aged 75 and over, residents in care homes and anyone aged five years and over who is immunosuppressed. Liz Maloney, who is leading the COVID vaccination programme for the NHS Suffolk and North East Essex Integrated Care Board, said from April the 17th, spring boosters will be available locally for all those who are eligible. I encourage people to take up the offer by making a booked appointment or going to a walk-in clinic. 
In line with the national guidance, this is a time-limited offer and the spring boosters will only be available until the end of June. So don't put off getting this extra protection. COVID is still very much with us. I also urge anyone still to have their first or second dose to take up the offer before the end of June. It's proven that vaccination is the best protection against COVID, which can have long-lasting consequences. Dates and locations of walk-in clinics in Suffolk and North East Essex can be found online at www.sneevaccine.org.uk and SNEE vaccine is S-N-E-E and V-A-C-C-I-N-E dot org UK. Anybody wishing to book an appointment can do so online or by calling 119. For further information, co- contact the helpline on 0344-257-3961 from Monday to Friday between 9am and 5pm. A large hole remains in a wall on the side of a privately owned block of flats in a coastal town after part of a Banksy artwork valued at up to £3 million was removed. The top section of the world-famous graffiti artist's seagull installation in Lowestoft disappeared in a closely guarded operation on Tuesday night. Part of the mural painted by Banksy on the side of the property at the corner of Denmark Road and Katwijk Way was removed, sparking fears it had been sold. The artwork on the building, which is in private ownership, was created as part of Banksy's Great British Spraycation in August 2021. After scaffolding and covers appeared at the wall of the house in February, concerns were raised over the future of the artwork that originally showcased a seagull swooping down to steal some polystyrene chips from a skip below. Part of the mural was removed with police and security officers at the scene as it was lifted from the side of the building by a crane and taken away on a lorry. Prominent modern art dealer John Brandler had described the removal of Banksy's amazing gift as a real shame for Lowestoft. It is unknown where it will now end up, or if and when the bottom section will be removed. On Thursday, a Lowestoft resident said the top half of the mural had definitely gone. One of the onlookers, who observed Tuesday night's operation, said it has all been quite closely guarded and there was a film crew and a cameraman there. There were a lot of workmen and security around, with the sheeting around the scaffolding open. It's a huge piece of the wall, and I think it will have to come out in two sections as there are joists around it to hold the floor up. A 1.8 million short-term housing site in Thetford to help support the most vulnerable residents was given a visit by Her Royal Highness the Princess Royal. Princess Anne sister of the King Charles III, was met at the Elm House site on March the 29th by the chairman of Breckland Council, Councillor Mike Nairn, and other representatives. The building offers private rooms and living space for up to 35 people at a time, 
including single adults, couples and families. Elm House provides a temporary home to people who have been made homeless or who are in need of short-term support while they find a permanent place to live. During her visit, the Princess Royal met with a number of people using the service and spoke with staff working there. Councillor Nairn said, I'm delighted to have welcomed the Princess Royal to Thetford and to have had the opportunity to show her firsthand what a difference our district council is making to the lives of some of Brecklands' most vulnerable residents. The service is run by the charity Access Community Trust on behalf of the District Council, and in addition to temporary housing, the staff help residents staying there to access further support, such as employment, opportunities, financial aid and health and well-being services. The Trust Chief Executive, Emma Ratzer, said, It was a real pleasure to meet the Princess Royal and to tell her all about the care and support our staff are providing to people in need. Princess Anne also unveiled a plaque to commemorate her visit to the town site. Maxine O'Mahony, Breckland Council's Chief Executive, said, It was an honour to receive an unofficial royal visit, and it was so wonderful to see the Princess Royal taking such time to speak with so many residents about the support they've received and with the staff who are doing such an exceptional job. The Princess Royal made a number of other visits to the region in that week, including in Ipswich to see Princess Street's Joint Police and Fire Station and the National Coast Watch Institution in Felixstowe. She also opened the Centre for the Environment, Fisheries and Aquaculture Sciences New Laboratory and Headquarters in Lowestoft and went to Adams Brewery in Southwold to mark its 150th anniversary. An organisation which works to protect airfields from development has written to West Suffolk Council with its concerns over imminent changes at Ruffham Airfield. In February, Ruffham Estate served notice on the airfield's tenants, including thriving flight school Skyward Flight Training, giving them notice to leave by the end of May. Now, the General Aviation Awareness Council, GAAC, has written to West Suffolk Council expressing its concerns over the future of the airfield. The site was included in the preferred options draft for the new West Suffolk local plan, which went to public consultation last summer. After landowner, the Ruffham Estate submitted it for consideration. Anne Bartaby, GAAC Vice Chairman, said in the letter, The retention and continued safe and viable use of general aviation aerodromes is a material planning consideration. This should have been taken into account by the Council in developing its local plan proposals. There is no evidence the Council has given consideration to the value of the airfield for the connectivity, training, maintenance, emergency use and the existing skilled jobs and STEM value. The importance of retaining general airfields and allowing them to thrive is increasingly recognised in government and planning policy. A West Suffolk Council spokesman said, The site was included in the preferred options draft. 
the second stage of preparation for shaping the West Suffolk local plan, which was subject to public consultation in summer 2022. Since then, we have been working through the evidence submitted in response to that consultation, and we are now preparing for the next stage of the draft local plan. The submission draft, which will go out to consultation later in the year, he confirmed the Council had received the GAAC's letter and would make it aware of the next round of public consultation, when its feedback could be included. Chris Shepherd-Rose of Skyward Flight Training said he was still hoping for a temporary reprieve to remain on site. I'm going to make an offer to rough him estate of a substantial lump sum and to pay increased rent in the hope we can stay for two years and leave the site properly, he said. On to our letters. And the first letter that I have is from Derek Cresswell from Girling Street in Sudbury. And he heads his letter, Are bus users of so little importance? I make no apology for still writing on the same theme. In the 30 years we have lived in Sudbury, three attempts have been made to close the Hamilton Road bus station. The first, in my memory, was the idea that a large national department store would like to take over the site, at a time when our own co-op, in what is now a Weatherspoons pub, was unable to continue trading and was closing. On top of this, Winch and Batch, our own well-supported store, was going to suffer serious competition. The families were great supporters of the town, but this seemed to count for nothing. The next stupid idea was to invite a national cinema to build a multi-screen complex on the site when both Bury St Edmunds and Colchester Cineworld were reducing screenings with the advent of ever larger domestic TV sets. The latest bright idea is to build flats and a fancy garden when all we really want is a clean, modern bus station with a modern restroom and a cafe. All three attempts seem not to have anything to do with enhancing the town, but an obsession with getting rid of the bus station. I worry about how our councillors see the bus-using public. Are they of so little importance, an underclass to be completely disregarded? I read that John Ward, the leader of Baber District Council, is still putting a great deal of emphasis on culture when so many pensioners and young couples are struggling to make ends meet. Young couples would probably like to take their families to Gainsborough House, but £16 entry plus £10 to enter the Gainsborough room is beyond some people. Our bus station, situated close to the town centre, with one-way entry and exit, must be the envy of most small towns. But those in power just want rid of it at any cost. And my letter is quite a long one from Paul Milner. What about heat pumps? Darren Clark asks the region geared up for the coming EV revolution, and EV in this case is electric vehicle. In the Eastern uh, Daily Press, April the 5th. I think more to the point would be to ask, 
Is the country and government geared up to meet the EV and heat pump revolution? The GridServe spokesman said more drivers are realising the environmental and economic benefits of driving an electric car. Well, in answer to that, it's best to quote the words Mandy Rice Davis famously said in court. He would say that, wouldn't he? Let us ignore for the moment the fact that EVs cost an average of £10,000 more to buy than an equivalent ICE car. An ICE car, I should explain, is internal combustion engine. Let us ignore the fact that even on a good day, the average range of an EV vehicle is around 250 miles, compared to 500 miles or more with an ICE vehicle. Let us ignore the fact that if you crash your EV and it catches fire, it will be impossible to extinguish. Let us ignore the fact if you're lucky enough to find a working recharge point for your EV en route, it will take an hour or two to charge. Whereas ICEs have tens of thousands of recharging stations and take less than five minutes to recharge. Finally, let us forget children as young as seven works in perilous conditions in the mines of the Congo to extract the lithium for those EV batteries. Yes, let us ignore all those EV benefits and ask where is the electricity to power them and those tens of thousands of heat pumps going to come from. Net zero is the name of the game, but right now we have a massive problem producing sufficient power generation Remember those talks of winter power cuts? Despite all the hype, there is no possibility wind and solar could ever provide more than 50% of our energy needs. The power supply to most houses is on the basis the main energy source is gas, and on average, electrical demand of each would be around 1 kilowatt. Now add, in charging your EV car, running your heat pump, cooking, etc. And you have a problem. We need nuclear generation. Rolls-Royce have their small modular nuclear reactors and will start building parts while waiting for regulatory approval from the British government sometime next year. So, millions of EVs by 2030. Uh, Don't hold your breath. Meantime, we in the West burnish our green credentials buying lots of stuff from China. A country building two coal-polluting power plants every week to supply our needs, or is it our wants? For the record, coal power construction in China was six times as large as that in all of the rest of the world combined. Politicians right and left seem intent on bankrupting us all in their quest to attain net zero in just a few years. This is madness, bearing in mind, in the UK produce less than 1% of the world's greenhouse gas. UK oxymoron of the year? Green hypocrisy. Uh, My next letter is from Bob Darvell, and he's from Orchard Place in Sudbury. And his letter is titled, If Town is to Thrive, We Must Stop the Rot. I feel I must add to the letter from Marilyn Saw, uh, Very Free Press, March the 9th. 
Your correspondent is so correct in every aspect regarding the town. She states that we had a cinema, but in fact we had two, the Gainsborough and the county. Sadly, though, we have lost much more than stated in her letter. The town has lost the cattle market, a wonderful shops, grammar schools, at least 18 pubs or hotels, the Conservative Club, the Victoria Hall, Springland Social Club and the tax offices, replaced by the eyesore for all to see as they enter the town. When I returned unwillingly from France some seven years ago, some of the first things I noticed were the terrible condition of the roads, the noticeable air pollution and the abuse of small spaces used for the new habitants' dwellings. I also note that we are now being encouraged to build within private gardens. This is not acceptable situation and can only end in tears. We cannot just keep on building homes without providing an adequate infrastructure, with all services, transport, policing, support, jobs and, above all, schooling. Sudbury was at one time a lovely place to live, and I believe it can be again. But the rot must stop and community take preference over profit. That will not be an easy task, but I believe it may be possible. And my next letter is from Andy Ward of Martlesham, and it's titled Honours List. You can only agree with Jim Mitchell, letters April the 5th, regarding his letter about the honours list. It's now got to the stage where honours are completely meaningless. They are handed out like sweeties. And as for Liz Truss, giving them away in her resignation honours list, it makes you wonder why anyone thinks they should be rewarded for doing so much damage to the country's economy. Given that they will be awarded to her mates and acquaintances, I shudder to think what honour she will bestow upon her best mate and ex-Deputy Prime Minister, our very own esteemed MP, Theresa Coffey. My next letter is from R. King and from Long Melford. Letter headed, Gender Craze Sees Comedy Turn to Fact. I see the NHS is still pushing on with this gender-neutral idea. Expectant mothers were in the habit of going to hospital and having a scan to see what they were expecting, a boy or a girl. But that won't be necessary in future. It reminds me of the episode in Only Fools and Horses when Del Boy comes out of the maternity ward and when his relations ask, What is it? He replies with great excitement, It's a little baby! It shows how comedy has changed. Years ago, this was funny. Now, it's official. And my next letter is from Steve McKinder, uh, Sandy Lane, Denver. I don't know where that is. Uh, Pie in the sky thinking. The ongoing furore surrounding these now fabled 20-minute communities is causing me some mirth. The latest reported issue centres on the potential for lack of options in school choices for the residents of these bizarre little villages. Am I missing some vital detail, or have I failed to simply grasp the essence of Miss Hempsall's original concept of having everything you need within 20 minutes of your house? 
This bizarre notion taken up, I imagine, by the County Council's radical thinking pie-in-the-sky department claims that we'd all benefit from only having a 10-minute walking radius round our home where all our needs are located in some experimental new neighbourhood seems utterly bizarre. Are there really councillors who imagine it's a great idea to encourage us to be corralled in little insular silos of samey mediocrity, going nowhere and doing nothing? I cannot envisage anything more saltifying and depressing. How does it work? I guess you and all your neighbours march like brain-dead epsilons to the workplace, school or to the shop to buy your TV dinners and collect your prescriptions, followed by a return home for the mind-rotting afternoon television programmes. Those pushing these barmy piece of Stepford Wives social engineering claims it'll create much more pleasant lives. Really? Count me out, please. And those 200 Thetford protesters and anybody else who sees this daft scheme as nothing more than crackpot nonsense. Uh, my last letter is from Owen Wilson and he is from Backton in Stowmarket. He heads his letter, Voting Against ID Cards. Did we, the people, vote for regional assemblies? No. Did we, the people, vote for ID cards? No. Are we, the people, allowed to vote for change? No. Unless we, the people, have a registered photo ID documentation, imposed identity card, similarly, regional assemblies seem to be gradually implemented over time. Could we, the people, be legally registered to say that we aren't allowed to vote or even deface our ballot paper without photo ID? Probably not. Could we, the people, legally check that our post postal vote has been registered correctly? Probably not. Do we, the people, live in democracy? Probably or definitely not. Jokingly. Is this the first phase of an invasion by aliens from outer space, as we, the people, often feel more alienated nowadays, here and around the world? Uh, my letter is from Ian Smith, Bury St Edmunds. Moving on, further to the letter by Peter Booth Smith, time to move on please, March the 31st, I share Peter's angst at having to see a constant stream of letters by the usual suspects about wishing to get back to Egypt, the EU claiming times were great and many things were plentiful. They are not prepared to wait any longer to enter into the land of milk and honey. They hearken for the good old days, instant gratification being the name of the game for our generation. I say to Peter, no. The group of rejoiners will not move on, as unlike your good self, they have not accepted the, the democratic result of the referendum, even wishing to call into doubt on the legitim legitimacy of it. I believe they will continue their regular writing campaign and blame everything on Brexit, as we have seen. I believe they think they can smell blood and are circling, circling like sharks do longing for an opportunity re to rejoin the EU. 
It will be interesting to see how the rejoin EU party fares in the forthcoming elections. Watch this space if you can bear it. And now we're going to move back to just a few items on general news. A road which was branded as one of the worst in the area for potholes by a community leader will be closed to allow urgent repairs to be carried out. Windmill Hill in Long Melford, which was described as having 40 potholes by local residents, will be closed next week while Suffolk Highways repair a number of potholes. The road was closed for repairs in February, but residents and community leaders were left frustrated with the works, with some saying the road was unsafe. Suffolk County Council has since confirmed the road will be closed next week for repairs. A spokesman for Suffolk County Council said a number of potholes will be repaired on the A1092 next week. The road will be closed from 7pm on Thursday the 13th and Friday the 14th of April to allow for the work to be carried out safely. A diversion will be in place during this time, which will be via the A1017, the A1124, the A131 and the A134 as vice versa. We apologise in advance for any inconvenience this may cause. However, we are sure the community will welcome the repairs. Suffolk County Councillor Richard Kemp, who covers Long Melford and Glemsford, described the road as the worst in all the areas he covers. Mr Kemp said, The amount of potholes is unbelievable. I think there are about 40 potholes in a stretch of about half a mile of road. Mr Kemp said that work needs to be done as a priority, as the road is not safe, especially for motorcyclists. He added, I cover nine parishes, and hand on heart, I can say that this is the worst stretch of road for potholes in my area. Earlier this week, District Councillor for Long Melford, John Nunn, said, I'm a that Suffolk County Council has let the road get in such a state. They have been out to repair, but the patch-up job they have done is well below standard, and we expect the council to get onto it, and I think the residents of the area deserve better than what we are getting. Following an eight-day inquiry, government inspectors have rejected a proposal to build 279 homes in Needham Market. A decision was issued on March the 31st after over 100 objections from members of the public. The plans had previously been rejected by Mid-Suffolk District Council last April over flooding concerns. The inspectors accepted this rationale at appeal stating the applicant had not demonstrated that the development would be safe for its lifetime without increasing flood risk elsewhere. However, this was one among a number of grounds for rejection. The original application for the homes was lodged by a consortium of landowners at the end of 2021. They hoped to build a major residential development on agricultural land north of Barking Road. In their appeal to the government's planning inspectorate, the applicants expressed concerns in relation to how the application was handled by the local planning authority. 
the inspectors appointed by central government did acknowledge that the development could alleviate housing shortages. They said the proposal would provide 279 houses, 100 of which would be affordable and which would be in a location that could be made accessible. Although the district can be can demonstrate a healthy housing land supply, this is nonetheless a material benefit in the context of national housing shortage. However, it was decided that this was outweighed by other considerations. Newmarket could have 700 new trees soon, thanks to the generosity of a local business owner. Manda Nigidikar, who owns Moon's Dental, has offered to buy the trees for the town to help make it more green and to promote biodiversity. He told the Town Council's Community Services Committee on Monday, We want to get the right species in the right places in the town because we take climate change and biodiversity seriously. Major Philippa Winter praised Mr Moon's enthusiasm for helping the town but raised concerns over whether enough suitable spaces could be found for 700 trees and how they would be maintained. It is highly unlikely that 700 locations can be found and their maintenance difficulties, but we don't want to dampen your enthusiasm and we need business people who contribute to our town. Councillor Michael Jeffrey said, I think we should go for the full 700 trees and fully support this and we can speak with people and strive to see maintenance covered. Let's make it easier for people to give things to our town and say that in principle we support this. And now we have uh, some features for you and my I've got two here and they are myths and legends in Suffolk. First one is St Edmund and the Wolf. The story of St Edmund who ruled East Anglia from AD 855 to 869 tells of the brave King Edmund who was killed by Danish invaders on the 20th of November 869 after refusing to denounce his Christianity. A wolf is a central figure of his story. The story goes that after being tied to a tree and shot full of arrows, he was then beheaded. When his body was found, the head was missing, thought to have been thrown into briars in the forest. However, supporters of the king heard the wolf call to them, and upon tracking it down, found it guarding the king's head. When the head was reunited with Edmund's body, the head and body miraculously fused back together. Thought to be a sign of his sainthood, many miracles were then attributed to Edmund, and his shrine in Bury St Edmunds became a place of pilgrimage. My second one is the Brex Bigfoot. Lurking in the forests and heaths of Thetford and Brandon lives the Brex Bigfoot. The month of June in 1986 was an unsettled month, filled with electrical storms, unusual hailstorms, and fog-filled nights. It was one of these nights that a long-haired creature with a light grey shaggy coat was spotted walking on four legs. But as the witness made their return journey, they saw the beast rise up on its hind legs like a human standing at eight feet tall. 
since 1986, there have been many sightings on the Breck's Bigfoot. Witnesses speak of eye shine close to trees and low throaty growls. Dare you go down to the woods today? Mm. Oh, creepy. Yeah. Uh, my uh, feature is from our local historian and author, Martin Taylor. And this one is Tolling the Bell Gave Road Its Name. Bell Meadow, a large cul-de-sac development of Fornham Road, owes its name to a medieval draper called John Perfey. Perfey was a tenant of the manor of Fornham All Saints, and after returning from the manor court there, is said to have lost his way home in fog, and was in a perilous situation, as quoted in one account. The land here probably marshy due to its proximity to the River Lark. Perfey then heard St Mary's Church curfew bell toll, and, using this for guidance, made his way home. The curfew bell was rung to instruct the town's gatekeepers to close the gates for security. By his will of 1509, Perfey left some land to the church wardens of St Mary's in order for a bell to be rung at four in the morning and nine in the evening during summer, and at six and eight in wintertime. The ringing of the curfew bell was only discontinued in recent years with the land, now aptly named Bell Meadow, being owned by St Mary's until sold in 1926. In 1863, a filtration plant was opened in Bell Meadow, the first real attempt to deal with the town's sewage. Just a few years ago, footings being dug for an extension to a property uncovered an unwelcome feature, a large brick, red brick culvert, thought to be part of the sewage works. It ran from Bell Meadow diagonally to the rear of Tollgate Pub. A section of it was large enough to stand up in, and the cost of filling it up with concrete at the behest of the building inspector was an unexpected expense for the homeowner. The exact nature of this has never been properly explained. Perhaps, after all, it was linked to the settling tanks and was carrying water to the River Lark. And now, before we close, I have one more myth and legend that was um, in Suffolk. And this one is Mel King of Dagworth. According to legend, a changeling is when a fairy child is left in a human child's place, while the human is whisked away to a different land. Dagworth Hall near Stowmarket has a colourful history, which can be traced back to the Doomsday Book of 1086, was famous for being occupied by a magical, mischievous child who claimed to be human but who everyone believed to be changeling. Known as Melking, he claimed not to be changeling, but rather a human child who had been born in nearby Lavenham and stolen from a field from where his mother had been working. He said that he had been in his present form for seven years and that in a further seven years he would be restored to living with people. In 1190, the manor was home to a judge, a knight called Osbert Fitzhervey, who lived there with his family. 
When Milkin first appeared at Dagworth, Osbolt and his family were alarmed. They believed that an invisible magical spirit had invaded their home and was playing pranks on them and whispering in a childish voice. They quickly became enchanted with Milking and began to share their secrets with him and leave food out on a special chest for him. He would wear special hats only once did he, removing it to reveal himself to a maid. An account of the strange visitation is given by Rolf of Coggeshall, a monk in the Abbey of Coggeshall in Essex. He wrote, In the time of King Richard, 1189-1199, to there appeared frequently for a long space of time in the house of Sir Osborne at Dagworth in Suffolk, a certain fanatical spirit who conversed with the family of the aforesaid knight always imitating the voice of a one-year-old child. He called himself Milkin, and he said that his mother and brother dwelt in a neighbouring house, and they had often chided him, because he left them and went to speak with people. The things which he did and said were both wonderful and very funny, and he often told people secret. At first the family of the knight were extremely terrified, but by degrees... They became used to his words and silly actions and converse familiarly with him. Well, we're coming to the end of this edition of St Edmund's Green News Talk. So if you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you've been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Bury Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal from whose pages most of our items have been taken. I'm going to repeat a phone number that was from one of our uh, articles which was on the Covid jabs and the phone number for that is 0344 257 3961. I'll repeat that. 0344-257-3961. News Talk will be back again next week. So until then, from Pat, Sue and myself, goodbye. Goodbye. listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.